exciting for everyone when golf spiritual leader and coach Tim gather around the microphones once again to make podcasts uh, fun. <laughs> I almost said podcast history. That's a little bit. Even me. You and I thought we've that would be too much. We've already done that, sir. We've already done that. Oh, I made myself laugh there. I'm like, just what a doofus. How big a doofus are you? Pretty big. Uh, making podcast history. It's Swing Thoughts. The award-winning <laughs> The award-winning. The Hall of Fame. Soon to be in the yes. podcast Hall of Fame. It's Swing Thoughts. And uh, as always brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. TaylorMade. Man, I had a chance to try out my golf clubs. And I can't remember if I had actually, I think probably by the the one show we did when I was in Palm Springs, I think I had played maybe once or twice and hit golf balls a couple times. But man, I know you've hit your clubs indoors. Mm-hmm. Have you had a chance to, uh, and I know you're, you're getting some great numbers. Thanks. Have you had a, so you haven't hit that, any of those clubs outside yet? No. It's, oh, I'm right, looking at my window, here. sir. <laughs> blanketed <laughs> with snow. Oh, that's right. I or forgot. No. Not everyone oh, lives yeah, in Palm yeah, Springs. Yeah, I just got back from California. Eh? I forgot. There's snow here. <laughs> well, as a just by way of promoting our sponsor, I can tell you because everyone who sees the club, uh, the stealth drivers, what I'm talking about, always like, oh man, is that it? I had several people younger dudes say hey is that the new club or i said like dude this whole bag is new i'm but i would tell you that stealth driver is something else and i i've been driving it pretty good with my um sim and my tailor-made drivers the last couple years i've had good driving years but i i've hit some it's not just long it has a great sound to it exactly yeah i love the uh yeah the sound is great yeah and then then golf balls go when you hit them uh with that club Yes, yes, it's a good combination. <laughs> hey, listen, before I forget, and I, and I, I was interested, uh, Tim and Nate Robinson, is Nate still with Rattlesnake, or is he independent now? Indie, indie. So Nate, who used to be a Rattlesnake, great guy, Nate and Tim uh, put together a workshop, and uh, you had, uh, I didn't, I couldn't attend it, but uh, just explain to everyone what you did, and then how they can sign up uh, going forward, because I wanted to make sure we did that today. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I think it was Wednesday night. We did a webinar called Quiet Mind Golf, Better Golf Through Inner Mastery. And in essence, it was a preview of a program that Nate and I are launching in April. So it's an intensive six-month program. And largely... It's aimed at those golfers who are just so frustrated of, despite all their efforts, taking lessons, looking at YouTube, practicing, taking swing thoughts to the golf course, and just not improving. It's a program to help people to get uh, through that and finally make the breakthrough they're looking for. And so on Wednesday night, we talked about how, you know, why most golfers struggle in this game. And Stuff that we've covered in this show all the time, you know, try like you go to the, the range at late on a Friday afternoon and you find something. Oh, wow. If I just do this with my left hip, I own golf. And you go out Saturday morning and oh, five over after three holes. It doesn't work anymore. So talking about why that type of stuff doesn't work. Um, 
and looking at how if we look at golf a little bit more holistically a combination of the of, of the mental and the physical and we can create sort of a path or a program we stay on then we can start to see some improvement it's not mu- it's not much different than i would say some of the core principles of decade oh really is that it takes uh, discipline and it takes incremental little changes that you can make so, so just yeah to be that, clear, just though, to, it's a six month course you sign up for uh, yep. and it's called quiet mind golf quiet mind golf. golf through inner mastery quiet and mind golf it's a six-month program is it once a month that you meet with people is it just i i i and i, and I appreciate it. we can get into the why golf is so tough in a second but so what when someone signs up is it a once a month uh webinar they attend or do you come to their home and they move in with you what, what is, it? <laughs> is it how does it work exactly do they do you guys have like a barracks somewhere is there well, we all shave our heads and wear <laughs> saffron robes. Are you like and, the, no. uh, the 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 high septum in uh, Game of Thrones? <laughs> the, uh, am I, I th- I'm probably one of the sons of the harpy. That's who I would be. But okay, uh, now you are. Uh, so, it, but, but so is it? Six, you said a six month program. Yeah. So what we do is we we'll, we have uh, four times a month. We will meet with our golfers. Uh, each month we'll meet, we'll have a two-hour live session, AA, eyeball to eyeball. It'll either be at Burl Oak Indoor Golf. To start off, we'll probably be that because it'd be crappy outside. And then highly likely we'll move to uh, to another golf course. I haven't quite nailed down that facility yet. But um, so we'll have a live two-hour session where people have experiential <laughs> experiences. Experience. They'll have experiences. experiences. Experiential experiences. They'll have some experiences at, at Sean Casey's place. Yes, and exactly. uh, that's amazing. So it'll be you and Nate, and and, and is it just to? And again, I don't want to spend so this entire time about breaking what, down the what, seminar. But is it one on one, or is it groups of people? It's groups of people. Okay. Thank so you. we're going to meet with you four times a month. So live in person, and then three webinars. And you also get you get a private online uh, lesson or session with Nate or I so we can check in with you. And just to finish the thought about the group thing, I've led a few golf groups. And one thing you can – in essence, it's cheaper. You get more than, You get more than you would for private coaching for less money. But also – you get the added thing around being able to learn from other people's experience. Okay. You talk with them. You say, oh, what's going on for you? And you hear what they're struggling with and what, how they've surmounted something and found, you know, found an answer somewhere. So, so that's, pretty, that's is, a pretty good value, folks. You get a, uh, four touch points a month as yep. a group, three webinars and one in person. Is that right? That's that's right. Yeah, and, as a group, and then a, so and one some private. and a one and a and a, a private coaching session with you. Yep. Ornate. Ornate. So basically, for six months, you get five sort of touch points. We'll call them. I just made that up. I just but I'd five, love that. We'll five, love that. You know things <laughs> where you get to have some instruction with Tim and Nate and uh, people can sign up I'm assuming at oconnorgolf.ca that's right that's right and you know what I just figured out 
because I'm such a math genius, over six months, that's 30 touch points. Eh? Well, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, and yeah, I we're do really wanna, jazzed about it. Do, I don't want to embarrass you with the, with the price, but it doesn't matter what it is. That's five times a month for six months. You're going to be able to check in on your golf game with some guys that know the game. And uh, again, you know, you can find out the price right now from Tim or you can shoot him a note or go to our Connor Golf. They'll tell you the price because we're we think it's a we think it's a great value. So there's a bit of a sticker shock here, but anything in which. People gain some when you're trying to improve. You need a bit of a sting because that'll that'll help you invest in it not only just financially but really, you know, stick to it if you will. So if you were to pay each month, it'd be six hundred bucks a month for thirty six hundred bucks. But if you pay the whole darn thing in advance, it's three thousand bucks. So a savings of six hundred dollars. You can just see the money going into your wallet. Like, dude. <laughs> 30 times over six months for three grand is ridiculously cheap. Even $3,600. Because remember, I keep saying, folks, remember, folks, if you act now, Tim O'Connor will also throw in some of his wonderful banana bread. <laughs> That's right. Each participant once a month gets the lucky banana bread. No, like. And the Pupil Fisherman's. <laughs> listen to what you're getting. You're getting one. Two-hour session indoors at Burl Oak, awesome facility. You're getting three webinars and a, a, a private session with Nate or Tim, all for the low price of $3,600. But if you act now and pay up front, it's 3000 bucks. And I got to tell you, what a commitment from you guys. But, you know, uh, that idea of the sting of it should cost something. Well, listen, nothing's free. And, and for anyone who's interested in the game that wants to have consistent improvement it's going to cost you something if you were to get 30 lessons just in the golf swing over the course of six months that would be twice that much there's nobody that's gonna there's no one teaching you know really that nowadays it's less than 100 to 150 dollars an hour so uh good on you man and uh everyone take advantage of this go do it well thanks and just just maybe just to wrap it up with a bow here I think that the value of it is that we'll work with you and, in essence, create a program. Because the you can, you know, if you dedicate yourself, there's all kinds of resources you could learn to do things on your own. The, what the struggle is, it's so easy to get knocked off, basically, your roadmap. Mm-hmm. Because in this game, it's just kind of squirrel, shiny thing. You know, someone says, oh, you know, you're doing this in your backswing. And suddenly for two weeks, you're working on that. And it's so easy to get just off this program, and that's where the that's where the steady improvement comes. I mean, you saw it in your decade experience. You just like you chipped away incrementally. You learned learned these things. Uh, Sandy's home. Is that you can hear Freddie? <laughs> yeah, usually I can hear Freddie because he's at his house, but apparently he's now barking at your door. <laughs> no, so yeah, that's so, uh, Tim's so thanks dog. Thanks for inquiring about that. I appreciate it. Uh, listen, man. I'm happy to help out. I feel like, you know, I'm part of the family. Well, how's your decade coaching going? Um, you know, it's good. I, 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 don't, I never really set out to have dozens of people. Uh, I got a couple, like there's sort of three 
particular people, one in one for sure that I've been doing a lot of work with, but I, you know, I'm not looking to do it every day. And, and if somebody wants me to help them get through a decade, I'm happy to do it. It's not like I'm hanging out. I mean, I guess I did hang out a shingle, but yeah, I've enjoyed it. I, uh, I did some when I was away. Uh, and as far as how it's affects, how it affects my game, I, I, I kind of wanted to start with that now because cool. I know we wanted to talk a little bit about Phil Mickelson. I know you, you sent me a note. We're both, um, let me just pivot quickly. I'll just say this in advance of our talk about Phil Mickelson. I never liked the guy. I never liked him. I always Me thought too. he was phony. Yeah. I came around recently, though, and now I'm back to not liking him again. Okay, so that's where we're going to head to at some point in this podcast. Thank you. Um, I, so TaylorMade is our sponsor. Uh, I got new 790 irons. Amazing. Very similar to my last ones, but my my irons last year were the year before irons, so I've got 2020 irons, and now I have 2022 irons. I can't remember. Did you get the new irons as well? I did. I did. And you've hit them indoors. They're amazing. I love them. Absolutely love them. And for the better players or the people that want to be better players, they really have a nice blady look, but they don't, you know, they have some forgiveness to them. Um, the three wood is a stealth three wood, but it doesn't have the carbon face, but it's got a, a different shaping. Love it. And I have yet to get my new hybrid, but I have my sim hybrid, which I still, I love hitting. I did want to mention a little bit about my experience playing golf in the wintertime because I've never done it. I'm, I've gone away on a couple of little trips, but not for a long time. And I've really not a lot of our listeners are guys like you know our friend tim niblet and others that go away for most of the winter and i really get you know being a guy my age and a guy your age i really get why people do it because <laughs> when you know the first thing we talked about when we said hi a few minutes ago before we started recording is just the weather and i can tell you i've been home for six days and i've been cold for six days uh, is it our age you know we're in pretty good shape i'm just cold all the time here yeah, I think it's partially that being of a certain vintage. Like me, I wear this. I wear this fleece. Yeah, me I too. From November to March. If you look at our podcast, I'm wearing the same damn thing <laughs> all the time because it's warm. Yeah, like, dude, I'm in my cozy clothes all the time in this house because. So that was nice. It was nice not being cold. How I wanted to make the connection to decade is this. So I'd been to. Sean's place, Burl Oak Indoor Golf, the official indoor uh, golf of the Tim and Howard's show. Well, we just like we like Sean, you know. I mean, not official, but we love Sean. So I've been there a few times, but not not very much. I may have hit balls a couple times. When I went to Palm Springs the first week, I didn't touch a golf club. My lady and I were doing some traveling. I hit balls maybe once or twice, and then I played once. But I can tell you, for the very first time I played golf, I think I had, we had done the podcast after my first time. What was rusty was my golf swing, but was, what wasn't rusty was my golf mind. And, and the very first day I played, I shot 73. Yeah, it was an easier golf course, and it wasn't a lot of trouble, you know, and, but it still was a golf course, and I had to put the ball in the hole, and I just sort of dinked it around. I wasn't swinging it great, but I just didn't allow myself to make any huge mistakes, and I hit enough good shots and shot close to par. And, and I just wanted to share with you and others that that was kind of my takeaway, that what I have learned over the last three or four years is what 
everyone who signs up for your course wants, which is consistency. But it's not consistency where you think it's supposed to be. It's not consistency of your golf motion because it's never the same. That example you just said about you go to the range Friday night, doing something with your left hip or so you think. Then the next morning, (laughs) your body feels different and that left hip move doesn't resonate anymore. And all of a sudden, those beautiful shots you're hitting on the range have disappeared. And I will tell you, uh, that happens to all of us. You know, but what can't, what doesn't disappear, and I, I've sort of proved it to myself, is well, I played, I think, 10 rounds of golf. Eventually, I got to play all the time because my lady friend left a week before I did. And I literally oh, dropped wow. her off at the airport and went to a driving range and had a golf club in my hand every waking <laughs> sunshine hour until I got on the airplane a week later. I can well imagine. So, oh, no, so can was, I just ask, in that first week, Yes. Uh, what did your boyfriend index do? You started at oh, I, I'm, and, yeah. I'm, listen, and what I'm did nowhere. you what did you finish at? <laughs> I need seriously. I'm uh, I'm not nowhere near scratch as a boyfriend. I'm serious. I had some moments on on vacation where I was uh, I shot a couple nineties. <laughs> I did. Ooh. I had a couple boy. I had one boyfriend ninety for sure. I had one that was close to par, but generally I, I'm about a five or a six as a boyfriend. That's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. You know, I have yeah. my good days. I have a lot of days now where I blow up. <laughs> so when we're done the podcast. Of, well, we'll dive into the, the 90s. <laughs> I had one. What the hell happened? Oh, yeah. I had one of those ones where, you know, there was no talking on the back nine. <laughs> you know, a couple hours is just no talking. Bogeyed everyone. Yeah, exactly. Bogeyed every one of those holes. Everyone. Penalty shots, three putts. Anyway, what were we talking about? Golf. So... <laughs> I can just, I just, and I'm, I'm going to open the floor up to questions, but I, uh, I can tell you I was, it, not that I was worried, but I thought, you know, how am I going to, because in other years, I would come back to golf and it would, I'd be like, you know, it, it would take me a while to figure out how to score again. But I know how to score now. Even when I'm not flushing it, I know how to put the I know how to get I know how to get the most out of whatever round I'm playing and for the most part of the rounds I played with the exception of one where I shot you know four or five over and that was my highest score the rest of the rounds were all around par and I had two rounds under par I had three or four nines under par cuz once my body kind of caught up I I and I was by the way playing different golf courses all the time sweet because you're, you're, what you're looking for from signing up with Tim and Nate or what you might be looking for from listening to a show like this, I can promise you is, a, is more available to the average player. And, and I played with nothing but higher handicap players for 10 rounds. You know, the, I think the lowest guy I played with might have been a 10. I'll tell you, one of the best players I played with was an, an older lady. I'm saying older than us. Like, uh, I think she was close to, you know, early 70s. But every, she was 73, in fact. But her husband, I, I, I take it back. He was a six. He was 75. And they came from some, like, Louisiana-type state. They were just the nicest people. But she hit every shot on the face of the club. I kept saying to her, what are you doing? <laughs> like, like it was wild. I don't know what she shot. It wasn't low, but she was just a pleasure to play with. But anyway, my point is I saw nothing but average to higher handicap players for a month. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, so what I, what I guess I wanted to share with everyone is that, that, that the consistency that we're all looking for is available to you, but it's consistency of approach and, and not just decade, everything. That is, a, that is absolutely achievable, I think. Well, great. Sounds like you had a wonderful time. So that's that's fantastic. Um, and yes, I'm very jealous of you, sir. I'll just make sure that we state that <laughs> unequivocally. Um, but so much of what you're talking about, yeah, is resonates with me. The things we've talked about on this show, particularly in the last year, what Nate and I are doing is that the if if we can kind of shift our focus from this. You know, how am I doing in terms of is my backswing in the slot? You know, am I transferring my weight? That's usually the place where most people look and hell, I do it for sure. But when we change it more to how am I adapting to what's out here? You know, I've got a puzzle in front of me. We use that metaphor a lot in terms of where it would be the optimal place to put this and where do I not want to put it? And that just leads to to just better golf in terms of a, a better swing, more flow, less tension, because you're making good decisions. And that, to me, is such a key part of it. That's why I think it's a holistic game. Because when you're making good decisions, the it ties, it allows your body to, to achieve a sense of flow and do what it can do. Well, when you guys, so when, I, if I might jump in and ask you a question, when you say holistic... Uh, and again, sort of talking about your sessions with Nate, what do you mean by that? Like the whole, I know what, I know what the word means. But I don't mean, I don't mean of, like little herbs. No, no, I, I know what I'm saying. Holistic <laughs> meaning like what? All aspects of the game. Well, that's what I mean is that generally a lot of people look at, let's say you look at a tour player and he's got his, his say his uh, golf sports psychologist, as she used to call it, his nutritionist his swing coach all that kind of stuff what i think really golf is at its at its essence is that everything integrates everything integrates together which is the definition of holistic it's a whole so to look at things as as this is the mental game i'm going to focus on this and this and i'm going to focus on my swing plane or my mechanics to me they actually they all come together in harmony and that's why i think decade is wonderful in that regard. And I, th- cause I, th- and I think it, it parallels what Nate and I are doing in our program is that we, if we have an awareness of what's going on in our heads in terms of what are we thinking about? You know, are we, are we projecting into the future? Oh, I'm on the 15th tee. Am I going to get this to the house? Am I ruminating about the two, three putts I had? Or how much am I in, actually in the present moment? And how much am I making decisions from an, an emotionally neutral place? And am I, am I making good decisions? And that connects with your body and allows your body to, to, to respond to the target and to be in a place where it can, it can, it can respond to the target. Because in essence, that's what golf is. We're responding to a target. It's yeah, not about making a good golf swing. It's about, here's what's in front of me. I got some water here. I got some trees. Here's the, the pins over there. We take that stuff into consideration. We go, okay, this is the shot I'm going to hit. I can commit to this. You know, a six iron, I'm going to flight it down here. Boom. Golf just becomes a lot easier in that regard rather than, geez, I hope I do this with my golf swing 
and I hit it solid so that I'm left with a birdie putt to avenge the double bogey I just made. So that's what I mean by holistic. It, no, all, I get it. it all works it all works together. Yeah, focusing on one aspect of golf, you know, isn't gonna get you to where you want to go. And again, I, I assume that anyone listening is somebody interested in getting to where they want to go, wherever that is. You know, I, I don't know anyone, myself included, that's satisfied with where they're at in terms of their golf progress, but I can tell you this last month showed me you know, I, I felt uh, pretty good knowing that um, the things I've been working on, and not just my golf swing, but the, the, the strategies and attitudes and all that stuff, they, they do go hand in hand because I'm now making emotionless decisions, even, on, even in rounds that don't matter, as I said to myself on several occasions, like that putt I made for bogey mattered to me because... You know, one of the things that Fawcett said, and I don't know, you know, he didn't invent it, but how you do, it's it's how you do some things is how you do everything. I, I'm, not, I'm screwing that up. You know what I mean? How you... No, you, you, you nailed it. Yeah. You absolutely nailed and, it. And, and yeah, uh, a bogey putt on a Thursday in Palm Springs doesn't mean anything, but, you know, I, I had a couple of occasions, and I'll tell you the, the my favorite story in a second, but a couple of occasions where I did things that only mattered to me, but I know they matter in the long run because... You know, that feeling of not giving up is a a thing that you can practice. Because, as we all know, giving up leads to more giving up. But grinding for bogeys and doubles, whatever that is, it leads to other times when you're like, oh, I've got some experience. Even inside my body, I know what it feels like to want this putt and, and make sure that it goes in. Or make sure you're giving yourself a chance for it to go in. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my putting was fine. Playing different courses every day, I found that a bit of an adjustment. Some of the courses mm-hmm. I played, I didn't play any. I played one fancy course. The rest of the time, I played mid-range courses. The problem is, you know, you're paying in U.S. dollars, yeah. and it's a lot of money. You know, even mm-hmm. the I played a bunch of public courses that were seventy-nine to ninety dollars U.S. But that's 130 Canadian, and yeah. and they were fine. Two courses in particular I played that were not in. I liked them because they were unique designs. One was a Robert Trent Jones, um, and it was out in the desert, so there's no homes around it. So you're you're playing on a golf course that's not part of a community, which most of them are in those places like Florida, Arizona, and California. Exactly. So do you want to hear about the cool thing that I did? I know I texted um, you, but did you know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. I want to hear. Uh, I, I did hear about <laughs> it, and I'd love to hear more of the detail. Please elaborate. Okay. This so, is a record for you, right? Uh, yeah, I've never done this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 this was one of um, two. One course I played, the only course I played twice was a course called Cimarron, and it's right near the Palm Springs Airport. It's a public golf course. Maybe 90 bucks, but really good. I really liked it. I played it twice. The second time I played it, I got joined up with a guy who was really an avid golfer, sort of mid-50s, about a 12 handicap, and two other people that were nice, nice people, but awful. 
And the reason it's important to know that, and they, they could hit a ball, but there was a lot of, it, it, it seems they had more trouble around the greens. You know, they were chipping back and forth a lot. And, and that that's important to note because a couple of times it kind of took me a little bit out of my rhythm. But very mm-hmm. quickly that day, I noticed, because that was about my seventh or eighth round. And I, I started hitting it really, really good a few days earlier. The day before this round, I shot one under par. And I had gotten close to par a few times, as I've said. I shot a bunch of 73s. And then that day, I shot 71. The next day, I go down this golf course. And within three or four holes, I notice that I haven't mishit a shot. Like, it's the here's the thing I would put out to everyone <laughs> we all notice when we don't have it, right? Because right. that happens a lot, where you go from the range where you seem like it it felt pretty good, and then within a couple holes, you're like, how am I th- five over after three? <laughs> exactly. So we all notice when it's not going well, but I noticed, as I said to my buddy Henrik, I had it on full flush, but it took me a couple holes to realize that the four or five full swings I'd made, uh, drives and, and approach shots had all been flushed. And in fact, I had it inside 10 or 12 feet, four or five holes in a row. I only made one of those putts. Part of the problem, challenge of playing with like new golfers or higher handing, it's just what I describe. It's like, I'd be waiting on the green to hit my birdie putt while Mrs. Jones was going back and forth. And at one point, you're like, you know, I... I felt bad, but like when you're putting for 11, just pick it up. Just just pick it up. <laughs> so I'm going along and I'm hitting every fairway or on I'm on most of the fairways and I'm hitting every green. And this goes on in the front nine. I shoot two under par and I've been under par a few times uh, that week. So it's not a big deal, but I, I, knew, I knew I knew I was hitting it well. In fact, I had the realization that I was hitting it really well. And I started to do what decade says, which is, you know, not that I tried to go for more pins, but I was I was very I, I was I was hitting my targets. Whatever the decade target was on that hole, I hit it, and I was getting closer to the hole. Anyway, long story short, I'm in the and the, the back nine's a little tougher, but it's a par thirty five, so it's a par seventy one golf course, and I'm in the middle of the eighteenth fairway. It's a par five, and I've got one hundred and forty two yards to the green, and I know at that point that I have not missed a green. I've never done this in my life. Wow. I've hit 17 greens in regulation. Like, you know, and you, we all know as golfers, like after you've hit six or seven, it's like, hey, this is cool. But I sort of forgot it until I got to somewhere in the back nine. I became aware around the 16th hole that I've hit all the greens in regulation. The 17th is a par three and I hit that in regulation. And I have 142 yards to uh, the green on the par five. And as I said to somebody recently, I'm hitting nine iron. It's a little bit downwind and I'm flushing everything. So I know I'm going to hit a good shot. But I started to have like big tournament air sucking. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like we're in the middle of a round with people that uh, afterwards they told me, I'm the best player they've ever seen up close. But they have no idea what I'm thinking. But I had to step away from the shot for a second. I did the full tournament deep breath focused on my target because i know what this means i've got to hit the green <laughs> it's so weird anyway i hit a i hit a my it was it was a nice it was more than a nice shot it was a great shot i hit a little a little tight draw 25 feet 20 feet you know not close but i hit the freaking green exactly and two putted for par and i and here's the cool thing so i shoot 69 that doesn't even nice. matter to me because I, I you know it matters but it's not like i can tell you this it was interesting because that wasn't my focus. 
that I'm going to shoot in the 60s. I wasn't even thinking about it. And it wasn't my focus till after the round that I realized I'd gone bogey-free because I made <laughs> 16 pars and two birdies. Wow. Like, it was weird. Like, yeah, it would have been cool to shoot 65. And someone asked me, well, didn't you have, you had a lot of birdie putts. I said, I had tons of birdie putts, but, you know, a lot of them were in the 20, 25 foot range. Early on, I had some that had I maybe not have been frozen out waiting to putt, I might have maybe made a few more. <laughs> but on the back nine, I just hit a lot of good, decent shots, not great shots. But I, it was just so funny. It was, I guess, last Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday. And there I am. No one there knows me. I got, you know, when it was over, they sort of shook hands and thought, you know, they didn't ask me what I shot. They didn't know I'd hit 18 greens in regulation. But I can tell you, I had, I had nerves on that shot. It was cool. That is really so cool. It was cool. That's what I That's love about great, the game love- is that it's meaningless to anyone but me. Yes, totally. But I knew what it meant. And I, and I also would have been disappointed. I know I would have been disappointed well, of course, if I'd have yes. missed the freaking green. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember the first, you know, first couple of times I had a, a chance to, to break 80. No one knows. Yeah. You know, but, you know, when I finally make the putt for 79, it's like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's uh, let me ask you. I think you said it, but I'd like to just hear a little bit more. As you were going along, what's interesting is that you said that you weren't focused on score. No. Today's the day I, I um, you know, shoot in the 60s, um, anything like that. So just if you could share with our good listeners what value there is to that when you're not focused on, say, a score. And you're just, I don't know, and you're just focused on, on what? Well, let me ask you. I mean, you worked with college players that, you know, take it deep. I don't believe anyone, and I've said this to Fitzsimmons, our friend, Dr. Charles, I don't believe anyone doesn't really know, you know, I've had people say, oh, when I get four or five under, I have no idea. I don't, I don't believe that. Or when somebody's having a great round and they're, whatever that is, one over through 12, whatever would be amazing round for you. I don't believe anyone doesn't know, but it's, it's about attaching uh, so much significance to it that it. It gets in the way. It takes you out of what you're doing. So I've had enough experience in the last couple of years. And in, in, in the week prior to this round, the day before, I'd been under par for 18 holes. But I'd been under par a bunch of nines. So it wasn't so unfamiliar to me. It was exciting. Don't get me wrong. I'm still not so blasé about it. And when I shot two under on the front nine, yeah, I thought as I was going to the 10th tee, it's a par 71. So I could shoot. 65 or 66 today i thought of it i thought oh if i keep hitting it like this i'm gonna make if i make i thought in fact i had the thought if i make two more birdies that will tie my lowest round Mm -hmm. oh no sorry that would be 67 so it would be i know i could shoot four under par anyway and then i forgot about it so like a lot of people and i have done this before i'm sure you have too where you get so caught up in the score that you just want the round to be over (laughs) <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, it becomes like, oh my gosh. Yeah, every shot's stressful. And if I get this done, oh please. Right, especially when Lord. you're playing well, you're like, I remember having yeah. rounds where I was playing really well and I and I remember looking at the ninth hole or the 18th hole at our course thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm there. You know, I just wish I could be transported there at whatever score I was at. And of course, you invariably screw up. 
But isn't that weird? I'm just going to jump in. Golf's supposed to be fun. Even when you're playing well. And yes, we want things. We want our handicap to go down. We want to shoot good scores. But really, to take something that's in essence fun, like you're not getting paid for this. No. I'm not getting paid for this. That it sh- shouldn't this really be fun? So it's the stressing part that usually causes us to get in our, in our own way. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll I'll leave this round alone except to say that, you know, over the course of the two weeks that I did play some golf there, it was kind of cool to watch a lot of people that I don't normally, that aren't normally part of my golf world struggle with the game. And as I say, you know, like the, the, the one round, I, I remember this guy, Mike was his name, and his wife was said that 73-year-old that hit the ball great. He was a six handicap, and he said to me, because, you know, you can sort of recognize a player pretty quickly, and he recognized pretty early on because he was a good golfer. But mm-hmm. he kept saying to me as the round went on, oh, you know, the other day I shot 77 and I shot 78, and I said, listen, Mike, I know you're a good player. You know, and I, I wanted to assure him because he kept up, not apologizing to me, but sort of doing that deferring thing where you tell somebody, you know, I normally am much better than this. Yep. And again, to your point, it's supposed to be a fun game. Why do you feel the need to tell me? Because we're, because we're, you know, egoic human beings playing a game that stresses out our ego like no other. So this man, who was probably very successful, who had taught his wife to play, and she was amazing, felt the need several times in a round to tell me this is not how he usually plays. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to him, I can tell that you're a very fine player. You know, he hit the ball nicely. And that was one of my favorite rounds, too, just in terms of the flow of the round, because everyone could kind of play. Yeah. So a couple things. One is I've had that experience too. Like, not that I'm in your territory as a player, but you play with someone, say that's you know, a 20 handicap ish. And, and, and I find that sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll kind of start apologizing a little bit. And so I hope, you know, I want to stay out of your way, particularly if it's a, right. a, a competition or anything. So I can, I can get that. The interesting thing to me is that um, the reason you're able to now shoot these, you know, consistently lower scores and go under par is because you've been there. You have you have experience doing it, and that's so much about how we grow in this game is by inch by inch, incrementally moving on and getting our reps in at certain things. Whereas in most of golf, it's people are like pinging off all over the place. Yeah. And then they attach emotional weight to it. Their identities attached to it. Oh, you know, I didn't manage to shoot this low score. It means I'm, oh, I'm a choker, et cetera, et cetera. And once we can kind of just, so I think what, what players do, who like you talked about, um, you know, players who go deep a lot, they actually can observe what's going on. They go, oh, yeah, I got it. I'm, I'm minus four right now. That's cool. What do I need to do? Focus here. Hit the shot. What's going on? So they see it. It's like I remember Tom Jackson, who you probably recall from yeah, the TJ Public from Academy. The National, yeah. yeah. And, and of he course, said late, that years later, people like, know that TJ went to Orange County and you worked you worked with them. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. With Core Golf Academy, he's now yep. got a new golf academy. But he said that what happens for for really good amateurs and professionals, it's kind of like a movie that's running in the background. Yes. So they're not paying full attention to it, but it comes up because as you said, I'm with you, man. 
if someone's four or five under, they know it for gosh sakes. It's like, oh, I didn't know I was eight under. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> um, by the way, just pause for a second. That That is a great, what, what TJ, what you just recalled TJ saying, that's exactly what it feels like. It, it feels like, and I, like I said, I, I, after the first couple of times I went to the range, I got used to the clubs and I, just, I made an adjustment on the drive. I felt pretty good with these clubs and I started to hit it very, very good. Like I, I had a lot of rounds where if I'd have known the greens a little bit better, I would have been under par as well. I was hitting it very, very well, especially that driver. So while these rounds are going on and I'm under par and especially that round where, like I said, at some point on the front nine, like it's not a big deal to hit five or six greens in a row. But when I'd hit all nine greens, I took a, I was an awareness of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but what you just said, I went, it was like a movie was going on. And then I got to the 10th tee. And now what do I have to do? Oh, and look, I flushed another shot like my body just felt good. It felt good for a couple of days. Now, I'm going to let you know on the Friday, I, the round on Friday, I played after that round again, another golf course. And I played, I'm just going to say her name because it was so funny. I, I sent a text to my girlfriend. I said, I'm playing with a woman named Muriel and no one has ever been more. It's never been more appropriate for somebody to be named Muriel than this one. <laughs> like she was, she was such a nice lady, but you know, she couldn't play. And then we got joined up with this surfer dude from San Diego. He couldn't play. And you know, she had, they had no recognition and I, I had an okay round. I think I shot, three or four over that day. But I was also a bit stressed because I had to go to get my COVID test at the end of the round and, and I was oh. tired. So I was also aware on that day that, you know, I didn't have it on full flush, but I sort of just sort of dinkied around, dinked around that golf course and I shot 75 or 76. No big deal. Didn't feel bad. I just sort of recognized it. You know, I just didn't have it quite the same that day and was just sort of tired of the grind. I, I didn't let myself make any stupid mistakes, but I just didn't hit very many good shots. The point is, well, I can't remember what my point about that was. Just that, <laughs> but but on, on, the, on the good rounds, on the rounds that I'm hitting it well, it's like it's happening outside of me. And then when it's time to hit the shot, I just go back into hit the shot routine. And then in between, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I've hit 12 greens in a row. Now I've hit 13. Now I've hit 14. Now I've hit 15. You know, a couple of birdie putts that lipped out. Oh, that's cool. And then just sort of goes on until that moment in the 18th fairway when it all just kind of hit me. And I had to do every, you know, like I literally had to stop myself because I was a bit nervous over that shot. Yeah, but isn't that exciting? Isn't that fun? That is great. I mean, that's part of what golf does for us is we can go along and have all the advantages of playing golf. We enjoy, you know, friends outside, hitting it, feeling good, this sense of, oh, got that in, get that, all of that. But there's moments where we really connect with what really excites us. Oh, you know, yeah. We've played other sports in our lives, other things. It's like, oh, here is a challenge. I want to meet this. Yes. And that is, that's when golf can get really exciting. And satisfying. Exactly. And so the satisfying part is, here's the challenge. Can I meet it in a way that I can draw on, you know, the resources I have? What's, what's, what I've established, what, what works for me, as opposed to getting into some kind of drama like, if I don't pull this off, I'll be a choker. Or what does Tiger do in this 
instance <laughs> yeah. to keep himself settled down. No, it's your own stuff. And so I think part of what the, the joy of it is when, when we kind of have a breakthrough or, you know, meet a challenge is like, holy crap, I did it. It was me who did it. And, and there's, you know, that it sounds almost narcissistic, but I think that's what we're seeking in many ways. Yeah. The, is, is I have a challenge in front of me. Am I able to? Am I able to to meet it? And that just feels so damn good. And and getting back full circle now to a course that you guys are doing that's over six months. And, and someone might say, "Well, that seems like a lot. Do I really need thirty sessions?" And I would just say to that something that you said a moment ago that it's like. It's like you think about your golf game as a series of stops along the way. Let's say you're, you know, you're, you're trying to get, I used to use this analogy in another context, but if you're on the top floor of a building and you want to get to the lobby with golf, you have to stop at every floor. You can't just get to where you want to go, which is shooting the lowest scores possible. There are things you need to do. And, and, and what you said about getting used to, you know, Breaking 80, getting used to shooting 75 and getting used to shooting par, et cetera, et cetera. You have to sort of stop at every one of those floors, absorb it, you know, make it your own and then and then go to the next one. Whereas a lot of people get frustrated, as you said a minute, a minute ago, they just go pinging back and forth. No sponsor tie in there. They go um, <laughs> back and forth to all the different things in different areas they think are going to make the difference. Now, obviously, I think that decade is a huge you know, part of my success, but also just I, I put the time in. But what you said too about like I, I, I as I mentioned earlier in the show, I had several bogey putts there. I fist pumped myself because I was like, that was like Fabulous. I was excited to make that putt because I just don't want to make doubles. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know that that when you stay focused, when you just when you're able to work through your own process, whatever that is, you're giving your all. That's when good things good things happen, and they continue to happen. But when you kind of like give up on something, even for you know five seconds, yeah, that takes a long time to get that losing focus is just as bad as losing your shit and getting angry and yelling and thumping your club and tromping down the fairway. It's just as detrimental. Because your body, your body chemistry changes. Oh yeah, it the, does. The story in your head changes. All of that stuff. So, yeah, staying focused on okay, this birdie, this bogey putt's as important as an eagle putt or whatever. But the thing that I think what we're getting into here is really, really interesting to me is that, and here's why golfers ping off all over the place. It's because why? Because we think that. The, the the swing feeling we had on Friday at the range or the tip they saw on Instagram or whatever is going to give them, is going to launch them forward to the secret or in, into happiness and what, they, and what they're seeking. In essence, a quick fix. Because we, we all, in essence, want, and so many, you know, movies are about that. You know, the, the, the rookie comes off the bench, you know, bottom of the ninth, never played a baseball playoff game and... Mm-hmm. You know, three two count knocks it over the fence. Slow motion fireworks in the movies, yeah, but not really in real life because it's through that incremental. It's not too exciting, but it's by that incremental growth, step by step, that we start to we get our reps in, and then it, it we start to 
own what's going on and we own, and then we step to another level and we start to own that and we experience it. I mean, I've witnessed that in your own game, man. For a number of years, we've been doing this podcast. I think when we started, you maybe, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're like a solid three. A two to, I, I was somewhere. I was always somewhere between like a two and a three. Exactly. Uh, I, I, in those early days, yes. So I've watched over the time that you've put in this work. You know, you've done more exploring in terms of things that we've talked about. You work on your game with your coach, Henrik, with some other folks as well. And you, you're, you slowly got better and better and better and better. And then came into Decade inch by inch you took that on and you integrated integrated it into your life and you're doing these things on a frequent basis getting your reps in and gradually you get it and Mm -hmm. gradually you get it and that's how we get better at anything you know whether you're trying to you're a musician or you're a business person or a golfer you just put your reps in a little time you get people to support you show things to you in blind spots you get feedback, whether it's a launch monitor, ball flight, or whatever, and you start to just make that steady progress. So it's not too exciting. So that's why it well, takes no, I, years. I, I, first of all, I wanted to thank you. I was just jumping in quickly. It, it, the phrase we've used on the show before is little things often. It's just a yeah. bunch of little, little, little things that you do over and over again that aren't very exciting. And, and, I, and I wanted to thank you for that, but I just, and, and also say that. I don't know what people would expect what it's like to play with, you know, watching somebody shoot in the 60s, but it, it'll be one of the dullest rounds you've ever seen. And, and it's funny because Henrik and I always talk about this. I, when he first met me in 2016, you know, I basically was storming off the golf course and this, this friend, a mutual friend of ours sort of was called me over and I was like, yeah, I was literally about to go into my car and go, I don't, I don't really want to meet anyone right now. He's pissed off after another round of golf. But as <laughs> Henrik said to me, he said, you, you know, you, it used to be more exciting watching you play basically because I, I would be even par for six holes and I'd go triple, double, bogey and then start throwing clubs and and it was it was crazy it was chaos and and i and my rounds of golf aren't that they're they're not as exciting i say that sarcastically they're not as exciting as they used to be because because if, if i'm in trouble i just get out of trouble and i don't throw i mean yes yes i know everyone i threw a seven iron into a forest last year i know I know I did. I'm still nuts. But I've just learned to just mitigate some of the extremes. And and that's what I would say to somebody. If you're trying to break 80 or you want to shoot 75, you, you'll be surprised at how dull those rounds really are. You're just making a lot of pars, some bogeys, and the occasional double, and you'll shoot 79. Um, but you're right. I mean, in the times we've been doing this podcast, not just my handicap drop, but, but my... My internal thermostat, you know, has been turned way down. Part of that is I'm just old now. <laughs> um, There's that. There's that. Well, there is a big part of that. Um, shall we just look? Like, so we, we got. I was going to say we have about ten or twelve more minutes, and yeah. that, so I want to talk about Phil. But go ahead, finish your last thought there. I kind of jumped. I jumped all over you. No, no. I mean, um, I think we've I said think it about, all. Yeah, let's move on. I think we've explained ourselves once again that. You know, golf's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be fun. And if you want to get better, it's not your, it's not just your golf swing. And I have had this discussion with some people recently. Is the golf game 100% mental? Is it 100% physical? I think it's all mental. 
I think it's all mental in that your brain is the thing that is making the decisions yeah. about your body. You think it's in your, you, yeah, and you're right. It's in your body too. Uh, one of the things about giving up, I, always, I was going to say too when you were talking about it, is there is something about giving up, and I said this earlier, that leads to more giving up. And I used to be that person. And the reason we give up is that way uh, we would be able to say to ourselves, oh, man, you know, I had a terrible round today, but I really wasn't trying that hard. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like that's like ego defense mechanism. Absolutely. And so, you know, I've said this on the show and I've told this to you personally, like I, I, you know, there were I had a couple rounds there that weren't great. But I know that on every shot of the not-so-great rounds, I know I, sh- I tried on every shot. Whereas the old Howard would have been like, yeah, I, sh- I-, I had a bad round today, but I-, I-, I sort of gagged it up about the 14th hole and stopped really paying attention. So it really wasn't me. I don't know why we think that is a, a pathway to whatever, but it's not. And so if I shoot 81, I- I'm going to own it, you know? I don't care. It can happen. You know, uh, let's talk about Phil. I mentioned earlier, never been a big fan. Uh, I don't know what to make of the last uh, few weeks. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan said he hasn't spoken to Phil Mickelson since his explosive comments about the tour were published last month. Monahan said it's a conversation that will have to take place before the six-time master, six-time major champion returns to play. Mm-hmm. Mickelson's not in the Players Championship this week. You know, I have a few thoughts about the Super Golf League, and I don't know if I want to get into that as much as, because we've talked a little bit about that. But Phil Mickelson at age 51 saying, I uh, taking time away from golf to prioritize the ones I love most and work on being the man I want to be. I got to be honest, when I read that, I'm like, you know what, Phil, that's I, I know how the world of PR works. Somebody wrote that for you. Yeah. And you because got if you're not the man you want to be at age 51. You know, listen, we're all evolving human beings and I'm not the man I was at 51 at 62. But, you know, that's such a cop out. It's such a somebody doing damage control. Yeah, you got fired and said, yeah, I decided I want to spend more time with my family. Exactly. And his sponsors dropped him. And I think what we're I mean, I don't recall. Maybe you do another. Well, maybe it's Craig, Greg Norman. But another major champion, major figure in the sports, in the world of golf, you know, having such a, a an instant and, and visceral turnaround of his image. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, then there was Tiger, uh, you know, with the, uh, the Thanksgiving car accident. All the sponsors most dropped him uh, when Fuzzy Zeller made the comment about, you know, the, the fried chicken thing. Yes um, to Fuzzy. And Tiger, you're right. Tiger's thing was was. As bad for different reasons, but in a different way. Right. It, was, it was him doing it to himself personally. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, a lot of his sponsors didn't leave. Phil Mickelson lost most of his sponsors through this. But I, I wonder, right. I want, this You're is right. where I wanted to ask you, because we've got about 10 minutes. So what were your thoughts? And where do you think this goes? Where does Phil Mickelson go from here? Well, I, well as you said, I've... I, I'm exactly the same as you. I was never a fan of Mickelson. His whole kind of dodio, yuck, yum, thumbs up, smile and yeah. stuff. Just, oh, just, I don't know. I was probably projecting my own bullshit all over him, but I just thought it was, he just struck me as disingenuous. Like someone, when he talked, I just went, it's like, you know, when someone's talking and, and you're kind of like, ah, oh, there's a smell here that's just not right. 
it just uh, doesn't seem authentic. And I think that um, so I've always struggled that. And then when Phil won the Open Championship, I went, uh, maybe he's okay. Mm-hmm. But when this whole thing went down, I was just going, oh man, because all the things that like, he, oh, there always just seems to be this preoccupation with image uh, and with money and you know the whole betting thing. It just there just always seemed to be something that was you yeah, know in the not room right. just kind of, yeah, something in the room it just smells. I'm like, where? I can't find it anywhere, but it just it's just there. Um, and I really think that a I, th- I think he's suspended for one. I mean, this week. Well, what I'm discussion. reading here on ESPN, it doesn't sound like Monahan. Uh, just looking at this article, like it, it doesn't say he was suspended, but there are rules and and, and things in Absolutely place there are. Uh, about conduct for a PGA Tour player. And it, it, it might be, I think the reason he stepped away is that he might not be allowed back for a while. Yeah, if, I, if well, at all. I think he has been suspended. But of course, it's the PGA Tour rule that they don't announce suspensions and penalties. Yeah. So, so which, I, which I think, I'm with Rory, I think they should be transparent around it. But, um, yeah, you know, and I think, I, I actually feel sorry for Phil. I mean, I really do. I mean, he's, you know, we're all flawed. And I think that what happened for him is that I think the uh, horrid cliche, but the chickens came home to roost, yeah. if you will. And what really you bothered know who would me love that phrase, co- Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I'm telling you, that's the kind of thing Muriel loves. That shit. Oh, I know, I know. I and I, I love names like that. Like I remember my mom had had friends named June, Mildred. April, yeah, not not Mildred, but anyways, just these names you never hear anymore. That's but anyways, right. um, it really bothered me when he said that that the conversation he had with Shipnuck, he thought it was off the record. Right on, man. Shipnuck was writing a book about Mickelson. You think a book's going to be public? And Shipnuck is an excellent journalist. And... Journalists, when something's off the record, it's off the record for sure. And Shipnuck was adamant that this conversation was on the record. Well, here's what Monaghan says. As difficult as it is to read some of the things that were said, ultimately a conversation will be had when he's ready to have it, and I will be ready to have it as well. Which leads yeah. me to believe you're right, that it's they, they've suspended him. They just don't talk about it. But yeah, right. it was completely on the record. And as you, you know, you're a guy that's written books. If somebody's talking to you about a book, if you're talking to somebody about a book, you're writing about them. Chances are, what they say will be published. Of course, it's going to go in a freaking book, for gosh sakes. But again, back to the PR damage control thing. I mean, how often have you seen it? Someone says something, get caught saying something. Oh, uh, that, that was off the record. I wasn't. You know, I wouldn't say that. You know, that was a private conversation. Bullshit. Hi, I'm sorry. What is this? What is this that he just did? What is that symbol? Uh, when I was in grade eight, that was a sign for bullshit. Oh, was but it? it's also the like it's also the sign for the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just glad that's well, I'll just leave it at that. Uh anyway, yeah, the chickens have come thoughts. home to roost. <laughs> Phil Mickelson. Uh, you know, I don't know. I know what you mean when you say you feel sorry for him. It's just you, you sort of feel like, hey, you know, this is going to be you want to talk about a stink on. Oh, my gosh. You know, sometimes when I think about how and I don't know if some of the younger listeners remember how popular 
Greg Norman was. In the 80s, there was, you know, Greg Norman was, in the 80s and the early 90s, he was the biggest personality on the tour. He was what everyone wanted to be. I had that stupid straw hat. I thought he was great. But yeah. but, Mikkel, but but what I find fascinating about Greg Norman is just how little impact his legacy has had on the game outside of the World Golf Championships. And of course, exactly. Norman is part of the Super Golf League group. All by way of saying, I think the same thing, unfortunately, is going to happen to Phil Mickelson. He's never getting the aw shucks, thumbs up, which he stole from Palmer. He's never getting that back because we all know now that's bullshit. We all mm-hmm. know. And, and by the way, that stink that you were talking about and gambling, there's some stuff. Why else would Phil Mickelson need the kind of money they're throwing at him? Why? Exactly. I I don't get that. No one gets it, except if you owe a lot of money. Maybe you're thinking the way out of it is this. Because he doesn't... You think on, on, on any level, why would he need that kind of money? Why would he need to tarnish? It can't be because you needed leverage against the PGA Tour and the digital rights and all that nonsense. It just doesn't make sense that he would need that kind of money at this stage of his life after making hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. And and the thing I didn't for a second, I didn't get bamboozled by that whole the PGA Tour owns our digital rights. All that. Phil, you've been a member of the PGA Tour since you were what, you know, for 20, pants. 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, the deal, you know the way it works and any and you're, you know, you you're a you're a really sharp dude. I mean, that's one of the things about Mickelson. He always, he got ahead of the sense, and I think was probably right. He was the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, he's a pretty bright guy. But those smart guys outsmart themselves. Why? Because their ego gets in the way. And that's why Mikkel, uh, Norman always just kind of like, uh, I, you know, I remember being in, um, okay, it was the, the Masters in which uh, I think it was 70... No, 96 was when he imploded uh, with that that was his round where he lost it all and shot a million and lost to Faldo. Right. So in the press room. So I'm at Augusta National uh, as a working journalist at the time. And he comes in and um, yeah, you know, the train wreck he's got explained to the media. And one of the things he said was he says, you know, I don't feel so bad. Because I just sold my, it was something around, I sold my Cobra stock or whatever, and yeah. I made, you know, 90 million or something. Yeah. That's one of the first things he said. And it's, it's, it's so much of it is caught up in, in image and how am I perceived. And I think that that's, that's just not, a, it's just not a recipe for, for living in a way in harmony with others. And God, that sounds so Pollyanna-ish, but, um, uh, it's when we start to see ourselves as above others or I have an advantage over you. Oh, goodness gracious. We're all just humans. Um, all right. Uh, that's where we have to leave it. Uh, we have a hard out today at this time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if and when Phil Mickelson plays again. As I mentioned, all his sponsors, KPMG, all those guys stopped. Uh, speaking of sponsors, we couldn't have do, we couldn't do this without TaylorMade. We love their product. And, you know, this kid that I played my last round there with the surfer dude from San Diego, great kid, had had tailor-made product and was excited to see that I had a stealth driver. And you will be, too, if you get a chance to get your hands on it. Uh, golf will be opening up uh, around here in the next couple months. If there's a tailor-made demo day, take it. Take advantage. 
Uh, go see our friend Sean Casey at Burl Oak Indoor Golf. Uh, Tim O'Connor and O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, more information about the Quiet Mind Golf Camps. What's it called? <laughs> what is it? Immersion therapy. Immersion therapy. <laughs> Quiet Mind Golf Conversion. Stop being an idiot. What's it called? Uh, Quiet Mind Golf. Better Golf Through Inner Mastery. Six-month program. Intensive. I love it. Yeah, and uh, it'll be cool because uh, Tim's wife, Sandy, she's going to cook your meals. <laughs> you got you move in. You move into the O'Connor Barracks. Freddie, our dog, will come in to give him a little scritch. That's right. You get to walk the dog. Acolytes. It's like uh, it's a whole thing. You wear the washes. Everyone washes. Everyone takes turn washing the dishes. You know, weekly sweeping up. It'll be like uh, like a scout camp without all the inappropriate touching. Uh, anyway, we will. Uh, and of course, humbleandfredradio.com is where you can uh, check me out. Starting uh, again next Monday, back uh, all new episodes. Uh, stay safe and well, everyone. Our uh, thoughts and uh, people who do pray. Let's give our thoughts and good wishes to. Uh, uh, people who are uh, you know, withstanding uh, tyranny. Yeah, uh, just puts in perspective, uh, you know, just how insignificant golf really is. Until next time, guys. We'll see you soon. Oh, but the horns, they blow in that sound.